All right, Hebra, good morning. Good morning. So we are starting today the fifth chapter. And as we're heading towards the the ending of Shara Bitochen, yet we have seven chapters, but uh, we are almost towards the end. The fifth chapter is addressing the following. When we're speaking about earning a livelihood, that's only a muscle. We have to just take the same way of thinking and feeling and apply it to all the other topics of life as was defined in the fourth chapter where he divided everything into seven categories. But I think making a living is a great muscle, and that's the muscle that he chooses. People that have bitachen versus people that don't yet have bitachen, in most cases, externally will be going to work in the example of making a living. The name of the Sefer, Choyves Halavavis, which means duties of the heart, is basically describing that whether you have bitachon or not won't affect that much what you're doing. What you're doing is something external, but it's how you think and feel about that which you are doing. Okay? That means when you look at a person and they're doing certain things, in most cases, from their actions themselves, you cannot see whether they have bitachon or not. And that even goes to looking at ourselves. And as we keep on emphasizing that having bitachon, that God is running the world, doesn't take away our duty, our responsibility of doing that which is expected of us, which is in the context of Parnasa, making a keli. So people with the highest level of bitachon and people that don't yet have any bitachon are going to go to work. The difference will be an inner difference. So he's going to speak about how do you measure that? What will be, let's say, a synopsis of the inner person's relationship to their outer work between a person with bitachon, a person without bitachon? And he's going to give you seven differences. Everything is with numbers. Today we're going to learn four, four from the seven. Pay to K. When one learns Hasidus, you get a much greater appreciation of how he divides everything. Because we use, in different words, based on the same types of categorizations. So the outer person is the outer person. We're not focusing on that. We're focusing on the inner person. If you want to describe in brief what is the makeup of the inner person, there are many layers to that. But let's use the model that we learn in Hasidus. The inner person is one's understanding of what's going on and the way one feels about that which is going on. It's called, in, in the words of Kabbalah, moichen, from moyach, and midot, emotions. So there's a world and then there's the way I perceive it, that's moichen, and how I emotionally react towards it. Even to that which I am doing. I'm doing something. How do, what's in my mind when I'm doing it? And how do I feel about my doing it? So let's begin with Moichen. When a person is going and making a living, and every person has their level of success, right, very externally speaking, you know, good or bad, are, we, are you successful or you're not successful? A person with Bitochen, will be a person that will see the success of the work to be perfect. 
always. You mean a little success or a lot of success? It's perfect to the baptism. Very good, very good. It's obviously after making my effort, not overdoing it, which also comes with bitachon. You're not going to overwork. Not underdoing it. I'm responsible. Like let's speak about a person who has a job, and they and they put in their their effort as they should have, as was expected of them, from nine to five. At the end of the day, how do you feel about your nafil? How do you understand? How do you perceive your day? That will be the first area where bitachon will change your perception. People that have more bitachon are going to be people that are going to view the the outcome of their efforts as perfect. Because the outcome of my efforts is coming from God. It's not that I'm the cause. God is the cause. The more people uh, assimilate this idea, the more we take that in, predicated on the fact that God is looking out for our good, even even if we're unworthy, even if we're unworthy, even though certain things to me appear to be good, to me appear to be bad, the more bitachin, the more bitachin, the more everything will be equally perfect. Because the outcome is exactly what God wanted it to be. We're speaking about God. We're not speaking about what you wanted it to be because you are limited, whoever the you is. You can even think you're doing something for me that's good for me, but you might be wrong. Hashem is not wrong. In other words, if our bitachin is in Hashem, then we're going to begin perceiving the outcome perfect. Not always the way I want it. Emes. And I have the right to try to achieve something pre the outcome. I would like to make a sale today because I need the money or because my work is so beautiful, making a sale is a proof that other people are agreeing with my objective truth, (laughs) that my painting is is Picasso, it's the best. But who is gonna prove that? Someone coming along and paying whatever the number is. If someone pays that amount of money, if someone pays a lesser amount of money, if someone doesn't come at all, the effort will be the same. The work you're gonna make will be the same. But the perception of the outcome will substantially be different. Makes a big difference whether whether you, whether you you see the outcome of your work to be oh my God today was not a good day versus whether you see today was perfect. I know in my heart that I gave it my all, and giving it your all doesn't mean you have to go on mysterious nefesh every day. I mean to say, giving it all means that I did the responsible thing. I whatever was expected of me, whether I'm working for someone else, whether I'm working, so to say, for myself. I'm an entrepreneur. I understand the right measure of what is needed to make a keli. We spoke about that before. And I did what was expected of me. Does mother count as entrepreneur? 100%. The mother is the biggest entrepreneur. You're creating children. Mamish. And you still take care of them. And you still take care of them, 100%. 100%. 100%. As long as I got that done, I'm good. Well, yeah, in other words, very good emotion. In other words, you, you, a person puts in their effort, the parent to the best that they could, and whether the child or whether the adult child or the old person child is cranky and groggy and unappreciative, which is not, you know, which without work is very unpleasant, whether they are very grateful, which is wow, will end up being equally perfect not equally bad or equally equally perfect 
And that perception will automatically create a whole different type of emotional person, which is something that definitely people like us appreciate a lot more. People in our generation, we're not the biggest intellectuals, but everyone, every human being is closer to their emotions, whether they are aware of it or not. People would like to feel good and people don't like feeling irritated. And the perception, which is the first thing, will affect, number two, the way you feel, midas. In other words, if, if things are perfect because they're from God, on all levels, your feelings are so healthy. First of all, in the Negi, you're not angry. You're not going to feel frustrated. You're not going to feel anxious because it's perfect. And on the other hand, you're not going to feel arrogant. In other words, if I will feel bad when, when I failed, which means I'm going to feel amazing, yeah, I succeeded, well, it's a good feeling to feel I succeeded, but it comes with luggage, and that is arrogance. Because when you will, God willing, at least at times externally, really, really succeed, right? And you're going to do something, and you're going to, you know, it, in Parnassa, you're going to become wealthy, then there's the terrible illness, which is the illness of arrogance. That destroys a person, chaval, like it takes away all the good. It's like you went to a nice place, not to Miami, you went to Hawaii. And it rained the whole time. Like, chaval, like, it, 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 ruins, it ruins everything. The arrogance it smells everything up terribly. If a person has bitachin in God and their understanding of perfect is because it's from God, well, if it's from God, a person will never become arrogant. So you have all of the emotional upside of being content, not being angry, not being frustrated. Now, this is amazing. It's amazing for people who get there because every human being that goes to work without the work of bitachin, going to work meaning going to make a living without inner work, making our perception and feelings connected to bitachin applicable to my emes, not just a theory, a Torah class. It's easy to speak about this in theory. It's a whole different life. It's amazing. Two people going to the same work and one person is really gonna be content Always, and one person is basically always going to be incontent. The Rabbeinu Bahaya goes into details that even when you succeed, people who don't have God part of their success or ideally fully uh, accredited to the success, you know what? It's never good enough. It's never enough when we see this in our generation. No matter how much you have, even if you have contentment for a while, that's the way Hashem made us. It's just a human nature. You'll get used to it. You'll get used to it. And what, what gave you the biggest high, wow, look how amazing it is, right? You bought a new house and it was double the size of the old one. And wow, this is so big. You know, bigger is not going to be good because it's too much. Yeah, give it a couple of years. You're going to feel like you're living in a shed. And then you need to have something bigger. And and if my marshal doesn't apply to you or doesn't apply to me, that doesn't mean I have betachen. It just means I'm in a different place in life. But there'll be other areas where whatever it was that I used to appreciate, and it really made me feel, let's say, happy, the American happy, it's not gonna make you feel happy anymore. Because if the contentment came from me, if I'm involved, it's never gonna be good enough. And only when a person has God in their lives, be'emis, not just in a Torah class, but really, God is giving me everything. God is give, God is my provider. I'm I'm showing up. I'm doing the response. I'm doing what God wants for me to do. But what the result is from Hashem? Well, if I believe in God, which I do, if I think about it more, which I should, 
if I allow, when I allow these ideas to really go into my mind better, then it's perfect. And you know what perfect means perfect? Perfect means when it's good, it's great. When it doesn't look good, it's great. It's a, it's a whole different type of person. It's a whole different type of person. And think about that. That's a great way of measuring, am I growing, am I bitachin or not? The angrier I get, and I'm not speaking about people that Nebuchadnezzar are always angry. I'm speaking about, you know, a human being. All of us, without inner work, all of us, some things will get me angry. And you know what? Without inner work, if nothing gets me angry, then I'm a psychopath. Something is wrong with me. Right? How can you not react? But when a yid does a lot of work and they learn about the bitachin and they work with themselves and they get to it, they grow be'emes and bitachin, then they're not going to react with anger. It's coming from God. And of course, I have the right to want a different outcome. I don't know what God knows. I know that it appears to me that good means X. But God gave me Y. If I really have bitachin, I'll be just as happy. Tomorrow, I'm going to aim for X again or whatever because I have the right to understand and to do my best with my understanding to realize that it would be good for me to have this. But as long as God is choosing to give me that after the day, I'm not going to feel frustrated. It's amazing. It just comes with a lot of inner work. The way I perceive and therefore the way I feel will be substantially different even though externally both people are equally going to work. Number three, number three, this is very important. Now let's put aside, let's shelve the outcome of my work, right? My outcome, God's outcome. Let's view the work itself. How do you, what's your relationship with your work? Now there are two options. The work is your provider. The work, the Kaylee is the source of your blessing or the Kaylee is only the UPS guy. Think about that. Think about a good muscle. Think about the UPS comes and they deliver this amazing package for you. Are you grateful to UPS or are you grateful to whoever sent you the package? Big difference. If you think that the UPS guy is the one that got you whatever that you think that you want and you need and you finally got it, Right, it's 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 off. Then you'll be very uh, grateful to, to the guy. If you understand that he just delivered, it's nothing to do with him. And you know what? And if he wouldn't have shown up, another truck would have shown up. And your gratefulness, in other words, your relationship is not with the shliach. Right? Don't shoot the messenger. Goes the opposite way also. Now I'm not saying that between human beings. We spoke about that parenthetically. People have freedom of choice. People have. You know, someone could have chosen not to go to work. The guy could have chosen to be lazy. The guy could have chosen to drop it, even though it was destined. Or steal it. Or or steal it. So there is nothing wrong when it comes to human beings to thinking. 100%. But, But understand what you're thanking him for. You're thanking him for delivering something for you. Not for gifting it to you. He or she, the driver, did not, is not your provider. And that really changes the way you view your work itself. With Bitachin, your work is the delivery person. Yeah, someone has to deliver God's blessings. But it's just a delivery system. And your work will never be viewed as the source of your income.
that makes a huge difference with many different emotional reactions to the better, the more we appreciate that it's that God is the source and the Kaili is just a Kaili. You make the blessing on the water, not on the cup. Even though without the cup, you would not be able to hold the water. I get it. So you have to have a cup. But what's giving you life, Mayim Chaim is giving you life and not this cup. We're good? Number four. And we're going to stay today a bit more focused on number four, which is extremely important. Rabbeinu Bachaya writes like this. He writes that, that when a person has more bitachin, the more bitachin we have, together together with the proper placement of bitachin, which means that um, I have to do what Hashem wants for me to do, because it's all coming from God. So my way working is coming from God. And you should know something like we believe that even if you would not do your part, if you are destined to have something, you're going to get it anyway. So why do I have to work? Because God commanded me to work. It really makes you work into a mitzvah. I'm only going to work because God commanded me to do it. People who don't have bitachin, they go to work because they have to work. How else will I eat if I am not going to work? The better we understand that the outcome of the work is from God, and that's the ikr. The work is only the, the, the driver, the, the, the mailman. So then it becomes less important to the point that I have to begin to ask myself, why am I bachal working? If I'm destined to have it, oh, because God called, told me to work, my work will become a mitzvah. And when you go to work and you understand that you're doing a mitzvah, everything changes. Your mom is doing a mitzvah. I'm not only talking about putting on tefillin. Doing sheishes yamim teyasim doing it the way God wants, it itself is a mitzvah. If a person doesn't have bitachin, they're not doing it l'shem mitzvah. They're doing it because I have to make a living. How am I going to eat? It's not a mitzvah. Nothing wrong with eating. But when you make your work into a mitzvah, something huge happens in your life. First of all, on a very external level, how many times does it happen that there is a conflict between your work and a mitzvah? You know, whether it was here in America in the 30s and the 40s, where working means you have to work on Shabbos, conflict, what am I going to do? How many of our grandparents used to lose their job every week? Mesir Snafish Mamish, not being able to pay rent. Crazy, unbelievable uh, challenge. But if working is a mitzvah, it's like many, many of us fail by doing things that we should not do. Very few of us fail sinning in the middle of davening, in the middle of Yom Kippur. You don't do that. When you are in a mitzvah, at that moment, you're doing the right thing. It's not the right time and place. Viewing work as a mitzvah, Aleph, if there is a conflict, you will always choose God because the whole thing is a mitzvah. And Bez, it's it just it elevates your life. I don't mean to say that a person should be living in an Aaron Kodesh. No, it's too heavy, too much. There's different levels of holiness. But when I begin to view my work as a mitzvah, I'm, I'm living in Ganeiden. Like every person becomes a clay kodesh. You're, 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 you, you are in service of God the whole day. Let me say like this. Let me give a little bit of a, of a beautiful Hasidic mimer. But prior to the mimer, I want to give you a story. Interesting, just to know if you can call this a story. First of all, many of us went to 770 here. If you stand on Eastern Parkway facing 770, if you can just imagine that, so towards the right, there's like a, a yard. 
there's a building, there's a building which is the library next door, but there's like an open space in between 770. It's like a big porch. They build a sukkah there. Huh? They have the chuppas there? They have the chuppas there. Now the fancier chuppas, not just on the... uh, Correct. (laughs) What about the other side of 770? It's the street. Where they used to live there? Okay, so like this. They made a museum right now. Okay, so so like this. So very good. So that building with the museum, there is a physical open area between that and 770. I know there's a walkway. That means if you go into the second story, you can walk straight into 770. But there's like an opening. It's it's like a building. It's a courtyard. It's a courtyard. The other side of 770 right now has this big, not such beautiful building, but all of the main office buildings in Chabad is there. It's crazy. And it's such an old building. Oh, my God. It was built in 1960, and it looks like it was built in 1960. And I don't think outside of them painting it, they did anything to upgrade it. Prior to 1960, that big building was not there. No, 770 was like this house. It was like a normal house in LA. It wasn't like a ghetto house. It was, it's a standalone house. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, you can't see it. In other words, if you're facing 770 right now, to the left over here, oh. the building, the big building goes right into it. Right. Yeah. But prior to 1960, g- give me this uh, Tzedakah Pushka. I want to show you something nice. It's like a, it's a good Hashgacha practice. So what we are saying is, is that right now there's a big building here that touches the, here. Wait, that's the front where you're right hand. Yeah, yeah. So here there's a courtyard. And here, right now, is a big old building. Now, if the Rebbe's room is here. On the first floor? Yeah, yeah. The first floor. The, you're talking about the previous Rebbe lived the second floor and on the third floor. But the Rebbe, first of all, the, the Rebbe and his wife, when they came here, they moved into this room. The Rebbe and the Rebbe, when they came here, they actually moved because in this room, there's a little bathroom, probably shower, if there was. Until they finally rented an apartment months later, that's where the Rebbe moved in. When the previous Rebbe was alive, his office was here. When he became Rebbe, it remained here. Whoever went into Yechidis, that's the Rebbe's Yechidis room. Right now, sometimes they open it. Men and women have the schools to be able to go into this room. I'm showing this to you because right here, there's windows. Right, right? There's windows over here. Right right in front of the Rebbe's window on Eastern Parkway, there's stairs going down. Which is a good thing. Which means that if you want to peek into the Rebbe's room, basically you have nothing to stand on. Before they built the building, you see these two windows? This is great. This was two windows into the Rebbe's room. Before 1960, if someone wanted to peek into the Rebbe's room, they had a very easy time because there was a porch. It was a big porch. People used to park over here. Old pictures of the Rebbe, you can see the Rebbe standing on a porch. It was this porch, not facing Eastern Parkway, facing Kingston. Yeah. But and and people that wanted to right or wrong, see what the Rebbe's doing. So the Rebbe used to shut his. It was always high like that. No, now no. There's stairs. No, right, right now there's nothing you can't even get here. No. Words, when you walk into the Rebbe's room, if you look at Mizrach, which is this way, which is Kingston Avenue, you're gonna see two bookshelves that are covering where the two windows used to be. Hmm. The bookshelves now. Behind it used to be windows. Now there won't be windows because now there's a building here. Oh. There's actually a staircase over here, if you know the inside of the building. My point is, is that before 1960, many people were curious to know what the Rebbe does. And they would stand by his window. And even though he would shut his Venetian blinds, but any Venetian blinds, you can find a little opening and they would see that which they were not meant to see. And you know what? Hasidim always did this. I'm not saying it's the right thing, but... I don't think it's the worst thing. You have stories. 
You have a story to tell you the Baal Shem Tev's office was you could not see in there. I'm just going from story to story, which is mamish amazing. The Baal Shem Tev chose at the end of his life that the Magad of Mezrit should become his success, success, succeeder. And there was another one who thought it would have been him. And he asked the Magad, the toldest Yaakov Yosef, asked the Magad, why did you merit to be designated in the life of the Baal Shem Tev to be the one that's going to take over? So we told him, do you know what the Baal Shem Tev does every Friday? When he locks the door and he stays a few hours by himself, he said no. He says, well, I know, and that's why I'm going to be the next one. So he asked him, okay, tell me. It's the same similar story. So this, this uh, Magid, there was no windows to the Baal Shem Tov's room, but they got curious. They never locked the door every Friday for a few hours. So he figured out how to hide in the room, under the desk, behind the closet. I don't know what he did. He hid there. And what the Baal Shem Tov used to do, which is really spooky, the Baal Shem Tov had a hanging chandelier. The, the shul right now in Mezhebush is restored. You can mamish big chandelier that hangs. They didn't have electricity. Maybe they had candles. Maybe they had electricity. I don't know what they had. But there was a hanging chandelier. The Baal Shem Tev used to take out a towel. He used to tie his hands to the chandelier. So when he loses consciousness, he should not fall to the ground. And he would do certain mystical things, say certain mystical things, and he would have Aliyah's Neshama every Friday. To do what? To go into Gan Eden, to, to do whatever he needs to do over there. The Baal Shem Tov? The Baal Shem Tov, every Friday. Now, the Magad is in the room. No, no one was meant to see these things. Tzaddikim don't, don't, don't show these things. This is private. Of course he was meant to see it. The Magad, okay, <laughs> shall we talk? So the Magad decided, what, what is he doing? What is that ever doing? So he hid in the room. And he described how in, in, while he's going into these incantations, whatever he was doing, he stops. And he, and he said strong, he says, someone is here. Someone is here. I have a story with my father like that. I'm going to a story within a story. <laughs> my, that ever walked into 770 once late at night, Thursday night, and he was with the secretary and he wanted to tell him something and he didn't want people to hear. So my father was hiding because he heard the Rebbe coming in. He hid behind a door or something. And the Rebbe tells Rabbi Chadikov in Yiddish, is anyone here? So he looks and he says, nay. So the Rebbe says, I think someone is here. However, I'll tell you this anyway. And he said something that's like a very private in nature. He knew that that whoever's listening won't share it. It was private. But here the Balsham to the middle says, someone is here. And he was not happy about it. So he demanded of whoever is here, come out. Nebuch. So the Magid came out from whatever. And he apologized and he's trying to leave. The Baal tells him, no, 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 no. At this point, you're not allowed to leave. Take a towel and come and join me. (laughs) (laughs) Two yidin hanging from a chandelier. The chandelier didn't operate. Amazing. That's the mice. So I'm going back. Is that people, it was nothing. People want to know, what's to the Rebbe? So let me listen to this. Simcha Stoire by the Rebbe is unbelievable. Even in our time. Mamish from a different world. Nothing is perfect. I have to acknowledge that. People can be listening to this and people went there. That there was excess pushing. Yeah. And sometimes people were not uh, cordial with the other. Not to whitewash that. So that's a, that's goals. So that was the not good. The good was the best. 
nothing like some chastoyde by that. You really felt you were in Gan Eden. You were in a different world. And and you have to appreciate that the Rebbe would come out very late. would come at one o'clock. And everyone did a lot of work until then. So your body is tired. And I remember that. Even young people, I was tired. And when the Rebbe came out, your mamash had energy. You had energy like to go the whole night and the dancing. And it was so difficult and you're being pushed. It was it was not, it was a big avoid. And in my years, the, it went from one to three. By the way, the Rebbe was so organized. Even Simchas Torah began on time, it ended on time. Amazing. In the earlier years, it ended after three. 3.30, 3.40. And, and you're, you're dancing like for two and a half hours. You're, you're in a different world. And the Rebbe would leave and the Rebbe would go into his office. So people got curious to know what is the Rebbe doing right after Hak office. Because then he would come back out again later. No, no, no. And the Rebbe would come out and teach a nigan every year. Oh. He would come out late, like an hour later. Oh. But what is he doing? So then you had, is he, you went over here? So they went to this window, a bunch of guys, and they got the Venetian blind, sometimes was not closed good. Now, getting out the Rebbe, when he walked into his office, the Rebbe in his office would always quickly remove his hat and jacket. He, he needed that, always. Yechidus, Yechidus office. The Yechidus office. It was when you walk into 770. Yeah, it's the same room. The, the same room. Leave, right? Yeah, yeah. As soon as you... He lived in the beginning. And then, now it's the And office. after the Rebbezin passed away, he moved back into this room. Mm-hmm. And that was the Rebbe's office. That was the Rebbe's Yechidus yeah. room. The Rebbe's office. So you had these two windows then. And people were shocked. What did the Rebbe do? The Rebbe always, that always, he threw off his hat and jacket very quick. The Rebbe was, in public, was patient. How he had patience, I don't know, because every second was precious. The moment he was by himself, everything was very uh, precise. Had a jacket, he took out a gemara and he learned. After the most ruchniyazdik experience, you're dancing and dancing and dancing, he went right away to learn. But let me explain to you why he did that. First of all, that's just interesting. The Rebbe used to learn. Let me, let me share with you a challenge, a challenge that most people should merit to have, but it's a big challenge. And it's good to be aware of this challenge because it's broader than our discussion. Here's the challenge. If you find a Jew that really understands how important it is to be connected to Hashem, everyone on their level, and that will eventually make a person want to be connected to God, how do you resolve that want? Let me explain my question. When you want something, a person is hungry, right? And you want to eat. So if a person, God forbid, doesn't have food, you know, it's a big problem. They're hungry. They want, but they're not getting it. But then if there is food, the food meets, addresses the need. The need was addressed. And that's a good thing. What's not a good thing is for a person to have a certain need that cannot be addressed. Because then the person will end up, I mean, you begin by being frustrated, but from there you give up or you substitute what you're looking for with the wrong solution, which is what most people do, which is all of the addictions. It means you want something, you're not getting what you really want, you might not even be aware what you really want. So it's it could be the whole thing is like without inner work, you're almost innocent, but God expects us to, to go deeper. You know, if you need vitamin A, I need, vi- we all need vitamin A, but I don't have vitamin A. So I say, you know what? 
That's Rabbi Tversky's muscle. I'll have a lot of vitamin C. I'll have a lot of vitamin C. Initially, you might even feel good, but it's never going to work because you don't need vitamin C. You already have that. You need vitamin A. Not, and not you, only this, some extra vitamin can take even worse. A. Okay, even even worse. But even if not, you think about. And now it's why why are people consuming something that's not good for them? Because they have a want. And their want cannot be met. And there is no want that God put on us that cannot be met. God is good. Sometimes we have to figure out what is it that we want. So if I'm not even aware of what I really want, I think I want A, but I really want B, and I'm giving myself A, I'm not going to feel content. I'm going to feel frustrated. So that's where I begin to have a lot more of A, or, or I find D, or I find something else, and it's never going to help me. Because, let me use Hasidic words, Ratzoi needs to be met with Shoif. You need that. The, the, your desire to get something must be satisfied. Now, let me put this in the context of God. Again, Halavai, but this is something that we are all able to get to. The more we understand God, or any other word you want to use, the more you will want to be connected to Hashem. You'll want to get Him. Problem is, God is ungettable. Hashem is infinite. Hashem is so great. How do we how do we satisfy that? Most people, when they're young, they are on the journey to discover something transcendent. Most people, it's a human nature, which is really Hashem. And you know what? When they're young, they feel content by the fact that they are on the journey. I know I'm on a journey. It's not going to be good in the long run. It's good that you are on a journey, but you're not looking to be on the journey. You're looking for God. And the more you really want Hashem, the bigger of a problem you have. What's your problem? How do you get God? And many people who have these very ruchniyazdika desires, many people, end up being that they can't get God, they end up getting something that's very unhealthy or very unkosher. And you wonder, how did that happen? Because they desired something, they just didn't have the words that they couldn't get. And since they couldn't get it, they needed to substitute it. Idol worship? Eating a lot of food or eating things that are not kosher. Mm. Or going to other paths. Or going to idol worship. Yeah. Very, good, very good example. Wait, when you say idol worship... She meant many, how many Yidin Nebach fall into Buddhism or other isms. Uh, it's all know. coming from the from the healthy uh, desire of, I, wa- I want to feel connected to God. And, and this is a big problem, but there's a big solution that we have to appreciate. The big solution that we could, we could find God. Let me tell you how we find God. God put himself in the Torah and in mitzvahs. Now, I know that during Golos, we don't always experience God in the mitzvah, but we could. And I don't want to get completely off the topic. So, you know, we say the Shema twice a day. You know what we're saying? Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad and Baruch Shem Kveid Malchus Elo Vod are two statements about our understanding about God. It's a declaration of how we perceive that Hashem Echad. Hashem Echad means there's no world. Baruch Shem etc. means that there is a world that's fully controlled by God. Everything we're learning about in Shadabi Tochem that God is the Balabayit of everything that's really Baruch just an idea. Baruch Shem when a person understands that, 
you're going to end up loving God. You will mamish, and you'll love God. Which is great, but not great. Because wanting, loving God, wanting God, now what? How do you get God? We cannot make up religion. See, there isn't, I'm going to decide that doing this will connect me to God. No, no, no. God so that's why we say in the Shema, Rashi says, God put himself on the Torah. When a Jew really wants God, you know how they resolve their want? By learning Torah, by teaching their children, and by doing mitzvahs. That's the whole Shema. Which is Divrei Torah, then as an example of mitzvahs, Tfilin and Mitzvah. You know what dancing means? Al pi kabbalah, pi emes, dancing. The real dancing is jumping. When you're dancing, you're not walking, you're jumping. Why are you jumping? Really? Because you want to get close to something that's up there, greater than you. And what happens when you dance is, is that you go for it, you jump. But what happens after you go up? You fall back down. So you jump again. It was when a tzaddik is dancing on Simchas Torah, I mean, we all like dancing, or many people like dancing. It's not that the tzaddik likes dancing. A tzaddik Simchas Torah is, is that they mamish, they understand something about God. That's why we say all of the psukim. And you begin to understand, when you understand what you're saying, you will develop such a burning desire to be close to God that you're going to jump up to Him. And that's why in holier places, the joy is greater. Because the Rebbe was dancing, the Rebbe was jumping. And you're jumping for two hours, for ten hours, but ultimately you can't get him. So how do you satisfy your desire? You go learn Torah. That's why the Rebbe did that. You know, that tzaddik, it's not just like we, we dance and dance, and then we work out saying, wow, that was a great Simchas Torah. You feel happy that there was joy, beautiful. But that's far away from where we should be. It's really dying to go to God. And the dancing is you're trying physically to get there. You're jumping up. And you're motivated and motivated until you feel, oh my God, I'm never going to get God. And before you burn out, go run and go learn Torah. And go run and go do a mitzvah. Because at tzaddik, when he learns Torah, when a tzaddik, when she learns Torah, they do a mitzvah, they really feel in the mitzvah, they feel that they got what they were looking for. It's not just they're doing a mitzvah for God. They feel that they, they, they became united with that which they want to be united with. It satisfies the need. And coming back over here. And therefore, the more mitzvahs we do, the healthier we are, the less frustrated we are. People that want to get close to God. So imagine when a person has betachem, that means they really have to take in their minds and then in their hearts that the results are God's and God is the balabas. So why am I working? It's a mitzvah. The moment I view my work as a mitzvah, you know how beautiful that is? First of all, you're doing a mitzvah the whole day. You're living in a mitzvah world. When we are in a mitzvah world, we stay out of trouble. It's like a protection to us. But more importantly, it satisfies an inner need. And you know what? Every human being needs God. Many people are not aware of it. Hasidus makes a claim that almost all of our physical yearnings is really something more. The yearning is emes. You think you're yearning for the chocolate cake. You can take a think that you're yearning for God. 
Just you're not aware of the God part, so you think you want that. Which is why the more chocolate cake you eat, you're not going to be satisfied. Because it's not what you really, really want. And remember that if you don't get what you want, you will feel incontent. Some people have clarity. At least they know. They know what they want. They really know what they want. And they know they're not getting it. Most of us don't even have that inner light. It means in my, from my perception, I think I want this. And then how do you feel when you get it? Ask yourself, how did you feel when you got something that you really wanted? If you were satisfied or were you never satisfied or maybe you were satisfied for a day. It's like having a lot of vitamin C. You're, you're satisfied because you think oh, I'm having so many vitamins. But then you, then it's not doing it for you. So it can take you a day. It can take you a month. You're back to square one. And, and that's very dangerous. That's the cause of a lot of bad choices that people make. Or they just give up. I know car. with God. Yeah. People in Mamish give up. I know people that give up, that they wanted to get close to God. And, and at some point, they don't want anymore. And you ask them, what changed? So they'll say, ah, I was young then. No, age doesn't make it weaker. It was the repetitive trying and not getting. People say, I can't take this anymore. So let me just forget about the whole thing. And that's the wrong answer. The right answer in the, in the context of Hashem, that when we really want God, and then we learn Torah, it's not just that you're learning godly Torah, which is Gavaldic, and it's a mitzvah, and it's intelligent. No, it's much more than that. It's quenching a thirst that the neshama has to be part of God. Every time a yid does a mitzvah, if prior to the mitzvah they feel they want God, they're going to feel satisfied after the mitzvah. It's really going to satisfy them. So if a person has betachin, imagine that you're going to work is a whole different thing. It's only the delivery system. I know that. But I'm doing a mitzvah. I'm a chayu. The most reliable people are people who have betachin. They're going to show up. They're going to show up because they're doing it for God. Even after they win the lottery, they're still going to go to work. They're not working. They're not working for the outcome. They're working because God told them to work, as we learned in, uh, with tremendous detail in Patek Dalit. So these are four differences that are only inner, not external differences between a, a Jew with bitachin, a Jew with less bitachin. How do I perceive the outcome? Is it perfect or is it never good enough? And therefore emotionally, will I be frustrated or angry or arrogant or humble and content? The, the, the relationship with the work itself, the work is only a delivery system. This is so important. It's not the source. It's not the source. Thank people in your work. You can thank the, the UPS driver. Nothing wrong with that. But he's not your provider. Like it's foolish. No, 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 no. He's just delivering that which someone else is providing. And here it's God. And the Iker, at the fourth, is to know that once you reach those three, working is doing what God wants for you to do. And when you're doing work as a mitzvah, you're going to really feel connected to God the whole time. Instead of living a life of wanting and yearning and being excited, wow, I'm so proud of myself that I want God, but ultimately, ultimately burning out. Either giving up, or since I'm not getting what I need, I'm going to get other things, thinking that that will satisfy me. And those things many times are not healthy, sinful, destructive, and it doesn't even doesn't even resolve it. It's like a lose-lose, at least. No. 
Because what we really want is we really want to be connected to Hashem. That's what every person wants. And we get it only through learning Torah and keeping mitzvahs because Hashem put himself in it. Not because we chose it's a good thing. Hashem put himself in the Torah and in the mitzvahs that we keep. So that's that.